Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast. I'm Stephen Oki. This is episode 37, featuring my conversation with Catherine Schmidt. Catherine and I met a few years ago. We have a, a mutual interest in the in theological reflection on technology, which we talk about a, a lot in this episode. She talks here about her forthcoming book on virtual communion and the way the the Catholic sacramental imagination can be uh, more fruitfully understood in the context of sort of maybe a more expansive notion of the virtual. We also we talk a lot about teaching and about our you know our different contexts, but she especially gives a, a a good case for why teaching is what gives her hope these days. Beyond this, we we also talk about some less serious things. We talk about the Bachelor. We talk about the Wheel of Time series. We talk about uh, our our shared love of Legos. So you know, there's a lot here. It's a good, solid episode. I hope you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, I would love it if you would leave us a review on iTunes or maybe leave a comment here on the post. If you really, really loved it, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash dtpodcast, where you can become one of our supporters. But either way, enjoy the episode, share it with friends, and thank you so much for listening. So today on the Daily Theology Podcast, I'm here with Catherine Schmidt of Malloy College. Catherine, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Do you go by anything other than Catherine, or are you always a Catherine? I went by Katie for the first 22 years of my life. (laughs) So some people know me as Katie. And did you make like a concerted effort to change that or? I did. Well, I, I didn't, I did not ask people who call me Katie to change. I just started introducing myself as Catherine. Okay. Yeah. I've gone through the same thing with Steve Steven and I, yeah. I, I have never really committed one way or the other. <laughs> uh, which, and so people are always like, what do you prefer? And it, it's like the hardest question I ever get asked now in my life. The hardest, yeah. Because yeah, I, ha- I have, no- I don't get asked a lot of tough questions anymore. But also it's just, it's such a, like, I don't have a preference. And yeah. actually for, for most of high school and college, everybody called me Oki. Right, and right. so I just, I, like, now that I'm a professional, it's, I don't right. know, it's such a weird difference for me. Yeah. So. Well, a lot of people call me Schmitty too. Okay. I get that quite a bit. But yeah, the only one I, I people always want to shorten Catherine for some reason. They always want to say Cat or Kathy or Katie. And I'm like, no, it's just Catherine, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I cleared that up. <laughs> uh, maybe more it's for settled. me. So the first question I, I usually ask when it's not a, a name related question is how <laughs> is it that you got into theology? Like what was the yeah. what was the draw, the attraction, the the twists and turns? Like absolutely. So I I'm a cradle Catholic, but I went to public school my whole life, and I happened to go to Catholic college. I went to Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and I took you know it, uh, theology was a requirement there, of mm-hmm. course, but I had an extra. I had an extra um, class in my schedule, room for for a class in my schedule, and I happened to take a Bible, a scripture course my freshman year and really fell in love with it. So I picked up theology as a minor. I didn't even know theology was a thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I had been I had been in youth groups and I, you know, I had read some some more, I would say, like ac- academic kind of things, but I didn't really understand what theology was because I'd never had a theology class. So I picked it up as a minor. I took Catholic social teaching my spring semester, my freshman year. Absolutely loved it. My primary, my major was political science. I really wanted to go to law school. Mm. I really wanted to get into like international relations, like diplomacy kind of stuff. 
And I took Catholic social teaching. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. This like combines two things I'm really interested in. And then eventually I just made the theology thing a double major. And then eventually I had an internship with the state of Maryland, the governor's Hmm. like governor's summer internship program. And so I spent all summer doing sort of public policy work and really hating every single minute of it. (laughs) I hated, like I was okay at it, but I, (laughs) I know, but I hated, I hated the way that I had to write and speak. Like it was very, I don't know something about it. Like it just wasn't hitting that part of my brain that I really loved. And I would come home and there were a couple of friends I had uh, friends and acquaintances who had all these theology questions and they were emailing me every night. And I was writing these like long explanations and like, you know, discussions with them. And I was like, Oh, this is what I like. Hmm. So I knew I was going to do a year of volunteer work after college, but that's when I decided to go to grad school for theology. So that's kind of the the twist and turn thing, I guess. Um, Yeah. What was it about studying Catholic social teaching that for you was a good, like, I guess, bridge topic or like a gateway drug for theology? Well, I was always super interested in issues of like government and just larger issues of like social science kind of stuff. And taking Catholic social teaching, actually, the other thing that happened that year, my freshman year of college was that Stanley Hauerwas came to the Mount. Okay. And he gave a a lecture about, you know, his, his shtick, like, you know, something about the nation state or something. And I realized that you could study, I think I just realized the sort of interdisciplinary aspect of this, that you could study religion or theology as a sort of like cultural force or as a lens through which to view like issues that I was already interested in, like issues about like government and law and social social issues and economics and things like that so i it was just a it just opened up my mind like i didn't realize that was a thing that theologians did i didn't realize that you could talk about all these other things and Mm. i just very quickly realized that theology for me was a way to basically study all of the subjects i was interested in at the same time like it kind of gave me license to study history and political science and all these other things so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was that it made sense to my 18 year old brain. So <laughs> well, was, I'm glad that it did. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've had a pretty good life. So <laughs> um, okay, and so then, like the the doing the internship, what were you like in your head? You were still sort of on like diplo- like law school diplomacy track before that, and it kind of upset yeah. me. Right. I didn't exactly know what I would be doing. I mean, I because I was a political science major, you know, most of my friends were looking at internships and jobs like on the Hill because we were really close to D.C. Oh, sure. And so everybody was sort of getting into, you know, what, you know, what senator they wanted to work for, blah, blah, blah. And I was I was really I did like model Arab League and I did a couple other things that were like kind of the international side of it. And I was like really interested in that. Maybe I was maybe looking at some like NGO work or, you know, otherwise nonprofit stuff. And yeah, I, I, the internship I actually had was with the department of corrections in Maryland. And that was, it was really a good experience in a lot of ways, but we had to put together this like policy proposal and present it to the governor Mm -hmm. and just doing that research, even though I was interested in what we were talking about, I just realized that it wasn't, like I was okay at it, but it wasn't this sort of, I didn't have any passion behind it. You know, like it wasn't, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. 
and fully, you know, like I, I could, I could do it, but it, it wasn't really, I didn't feel like myself as much as I did when I was talking theology or writing theology. That makes sense. I think so. <laughs> so yeah, no, it is. Uh, so, and then, so you, you did uh, volunteer work after, after college? I did. I did a year of volunteer work with the Vincentian Service Corps in okay. Los Angeles. What did yeah. you do? The, <laughs> not much. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't want to speak ill of that of that program, but I worked at a hospital in Linwood, which is I think it's just south of Compton, maybe north of Compton. Anyway, it's in kind of southern LA, uh, yeah, south central kind of. And I worked for their community affairs department, so I helped out with anything that was kind of like community facing, like their newsletter and even some like. I, I did a little bit of work, like talking to elected officials for the hospital. I helped with, like we had an immunization, like a like a mobile immunization mm-hmm. RV that used to go around into the community. So I, yeah, just those kinds of things. Yeah. And was it like you just, you knew you needed to do volunteer work for like a, like a sole reason or was it like? I don't know. It was like, was it like what, what was the, what was the, what was, like yeah. you said earlier that like you knew you were going to do that. Like what was the, like I think, push. yeah, that's a great question. I think that because I sort of, I, I come from like a working class family, I think because I, I always imagined myself doing something that was like more service oriented. Like I said, mm-hmm. I was, you know, interested in nonprofits or maybe international development. I think, a lo- I think some of it was like guilt or me wrestling with hmm. the vocation of being going into higher ed because I knew that I was being called to be in academia but I had some guilt with it like I had some some doubts about like you know this it's (laughs) at the time it seemed like I was going into some like highly privileged like egghead kind of situation and I was like no I want to do something that's like very Mm hands-on and like I also wanted to make sure that there wasn't some other vocation that I was sort of missing you know so I was like okay before I jump into what's going to be at least six years of grad school let me do something that's a little bit different and and just sort of make sure it's kind of been my style throughout my life to kind of take a step or two in one direction as a form of discernment and so that was like my step in that direction to something that was more I don't know more sort of like hands-on you know like more like really like on the ground kind of service stuff yeah Yeah. so I think I think that's what I was thinking did you feel like you had to sort of like make sure you couldn't do something else or didn't want to do something else or yeah, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. That's part of how I discern things in general. So, like I said, just kind of like try it out a little bit. Yeah i i had a I had a corporate job for two years after I did my master's degree. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and I and I I did it partly. I I was burned out at the end of my master's degree. Like if I'd gone on, it would have been ugly. And yeah, I also, like I wanted to make some money, and I I wanted to stay in right. Chicago, which is where which was where I did grad school, and. I remember realizing, like, I was really good at my job. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did enjoy it. Like, it's not like I, I didn't like what I did and I like people I worked right. with. But I just sort of realized, like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this forever. <laughs> yeah. like, like, it just wasn't yeah. me. And I, I yeah, like, I, I needed to know, like, I think, yeah, I think some people, like, they need to know, like, they can't do anything else to sort of, like, back themselves into yeah, doing something. Yeah, yeah. And for right. me, like, I, I, I didn't need it that way. I, like, I sort of needed to know that I could do something else, but didn't want to. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, 
That makes a lot of sense. I had a similar experience. I taught high school very briefly. And I think part of that was, well, me just wanting to be in a classroom while I finished my dissertation. But it was it was a form of discernment for me, you know, like, was I being called maybe to high school instead of higher ed? And it wasn't so much, like you said, that I couldn't do anything else. I just, I wanted to see, like, if there was something else there. Um, you, you taught high school while working on your dissertation? Yes, very briefly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when I, my assistantship ended at Dayton, I was in Cleveland for a year and I was scooping ice cream, actually in an ice cream shop as I finished my dissertation. And I just missed the classroom a lot. And I found this great high school in Akron and I taught there for a semester for like the fall semester. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a silly idea. I didn't get any work done. <laughs> so <laughs> my dissertation director was not, was, was, was nonplussed that I tried to do this. So <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I sometimes yeah. think about like, when I was doing my dissertation, how much time I had <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like I, how much time I must have wasted. Yeah. Because like, but you I, can't do that to yourself. I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, I don't beat myself up about it. It's more, yeah. it's more sort of wonder. Right. You know? Right. Like, yes. I, Cause I, I rem- <laughs> like, I remember, I mean, there are people in my program who had like, like multitudes of children Mm-hmm. Um, and who finished in like the same time frame I did. And it's really like... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I know that feeling well. I mean, Dayton, we had so many folks that had, you know, three, four or five kids. And I'm like, am I just that lazy that I'm, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you just can't, you know, everybody lives the reality that they have and you yeah. can't, you can't do that to yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah. I don't beat myself up about it. At least not. Good. Anymore. Good. It's just, sort of, yeah, it's just sort of fascinating. Um, it is. It really like, is. I, yeah. So if I can ask, what was the, what was the draw or the attraction of Dayton for you? Cause you like, I know you, you have a master's and a PhD from there. Um, I do. Was that like, was it where like you did coursework and they gave you a master's or were they separate programs or? They were separate programs. Okay. I had intended, I had intended to only go there for my master's. Okay. So I ended up there. I applied for a, a, a few programs and, and by the time I chose, by the time I, did my master or sorry, by the time I was making the decision, it was really between GTU Berkeley and Dayton. Okay. And I really wanted to get out of California and Dayton has really great funding. They had really great support when I, back in 2008. And I had the connection of Bill Portier who had been at Mount St. Mary's for over 20 years. And, and so I had been, it had been recommended to me that I look at Dayton and I really just, besides the funding that I liked the, the people there, I liked the sense of community there. It felt like the right place. And ultimately it was, I mean, I'm, I'm so thrilled with my decision to stay there. So then I, yeah, after my master's, I applied to several programs. To be quite honest with you, I actually didn't get in. Um, I was waitlisted for a couple other places. <laughs> and uh, I, instead of waiting, I could have maybe like waited another year or something, but when it came down to it, I knew that I had a place. I knew I had a community at Dayton already. And when I, like, I really stopped to think, I was like, oh, like, this is, this, their focus on American Catholicism is so clearly yeah. what got, what got me into theology in the first place. And it's so, so much a part of like my own, you know, theological perspective. I'm like, it, it makes sense for me to stay here. And the other thing I really liked about it was that 
of the five years of work that you do there, four of them you spend teaching. And hmm. I was just, I thought that was just like an incredible opportunity because I always, I got into this to teach and I, I, you know, I was like, this is great. Like I get four years of, of teaching experience. And, you know, if I, if I never got a job, at least I would have had four or five years of teaching theology at a, in a higher, you know, the higher, at higher ed level. So, so yeah, I mean, ultimately it just, it made the most sense and I just didn't look back after that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I confess like when I was first looking at programs and I, I it, it might've just been the like advisors at Georgetown and everything else, but like, I, I honestly didn't know that Dayton had anything. Right. Um, right. And I, <laughs> I've been super impressed by all the people that came out of Dayton that I've met. <laughs> yeah. I, good. Like I, I, it, I don't know. It, I, this may sound terrible. It, it seems like a really well-kept secret, maybe. I don't know. Mm, but it yeah. might also, I mean, it, it could entirely just be my own failing. Like, I, I don't want to project no, I think, others, but. I, I think it's, I mean, it's a relatively new program. Like, we're having our 20th anniversary okay. next year, which should be exciting. This fall? Shoot. I don't know. I have the invitation somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's relatively new, you know? I mean, yeah, if okay. you think about how long it takes people to get through True. a program and then how, you know, people getting jobs and things like that. But yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it's, it is sort of a, a secret, but I think it's becoming, I think because there are more of us out there teaching now and producing, like, I think it's becoming more of a, hopefully more, more of a well-known thing because it is such a great community and it's such a great place to study and to learn how to teach, especially Yeah. that I, I hope more people know about it. So yeah. plus, plus friend of the show, Vince Miller is there. Right. Of whom I'm a huge fan. <laughs> So, and I may or may not have just mentioned him as my quote unquote <laughs> dissertation director. So I don't know if he'll <laughs> so. laugh. It's fine. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about teaching and like the, the importance of teaching to you and being in the classroom to you. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could say some, say a bit about your experience now teaching at Malloy in, mm -hmm. it, it's in New York. Where in New York is it? It's in a place called Rockville Center, which is in Long Island. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you could say something about like your experience teaching there and like, has it, I don't know, has it lived up to what you hoped it would be? Has it been better than what you hoped it would be? So my Maloya is a, is an interesting place. It is mostly nursing students and students in education okay. and some, and business is sort of a, a close third, but it, it began as a women's college and like as so like so many places did and it really was about sort of you know getting catholic women into professional program you know professional mm -hmm. into the professions into into things like nursing and teaching and what's what's an, it's an interesting school because it's relatively inexpensive for being a private catholic school i mean we all know that private catholic education costs way too much sure but it's but it we offer a lot of funding and because of that we have a lot of students who are first generation college students mm -hmm. i have a lot of students who are children of immigrants or immigrants themselves and so it's this interesting mix of sort of i would say more affluent long island kids and mm -hmm. then kind of like i said first generation college student uh, kind of kids coming from all over even as far as the bronx brooklyn queens and for me, you know, none really we have we have very few majors in my department. We are really in service to the to the general education curriculum, which I think a lot some of my colleagues in the humanities that really bothers them, but for mm -hmm. me, I'm really honored to contribute in that way because I think that I think in Catholic higher ed we I think 
because it's so expensive, the the effect of this is that there are a lot of people out there who are not getting high quality liberal arts because we're sort of keeping it to the ones that can pay that high ticket, you know? And so I really love that I get to have, you know, to do theology with students who, well, really this will probably be only their only theology class they ever take because a lot of them come from public schools. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's really an honor. I mean, it has its own challenges definitely, but I really love the things that happened in my classroom at Malloy. It, it was a bit of an adjustment coming from Ohio because in Ohio, just temperamentally, like my students at, U, at, at UD were so different, like very like middle upper class, like polite kids to going to New York where everybody is like kind of on edge. <laughs> say. Um, but it's, but it's, but it's been great because like, I, it doesn't take much for me to sort of like provoke my students into a really heated discussion. And mm. I love it. You know, it's super yeah. fun. So yeah. And I, I have a really great chair person at Malloy who is really supportive of the things that I want to teach. So they let me develop my own religion and media course, which I'm teaching again in the fall. I did for the first time in the spring and yeah, I just I get to be really super creative in the classroom and and like I said, I've I've had these experiences that have just been like a true honor. The the way that my students the things I can I see them go into and I know you I think you have similar experiences at your institution yeah. because your population is so diverse as well. It's it's just a joy to watch them grow and to I know that when they leave Malloy often they're graduating from that institution is changing the dynamic of their whole family. You know, it's really like they can now get a job that they're going to work and support their families. And I mean, that's a, that's a different project in, in some ways than, than, than other, other places that I've, that I've taught. So, so yeah, I mean, I really, I think I'm just, I'm really lucky that I, I get to teach this, this particular group of students and I'm lucky that I get to teach things that I'm super interested in. I don't think everybody in their first three years of, you know, the tenure track gets to do as much as I'm getting to do in terms mm-hmm. of like being creative and teaching the things that I want to. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really lucky in that way. Do you, yeah. Do you think, do you think that like, I'm thinking about what you, when you were describing yourself earlier on as like coming from a working class family and mm-hmm. like not really knowing what theology was about, like, is, is that yeah. a fair descriptor of your students too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, like I said, it's a weird mix because I would say a good half or maybe more of them do come from like the Long Island Catholic high school system. Okay. And so there's that, those kids that kind of do know, they at least understand like high school religion class, you yeah. know, and that's what they think they're taking. And <laughs> Right. Of course. Yeah. We all, we all have that experience, but yeah, I mean, I, to, that's what I'm saying to, to be able to sort of introduce an entire discipline to somebody, you know, that may or may not, you know, do do anything for them past the semester. I'd like to think that it does, but that, that there is something really, I take that responsibility really seriously. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm frustrated that they only have to take one course with us, but I'm going to make the best of it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give them as much as I can in that one semester. Is it pretty wide open what that one course is? Yes, it's very wide open. They can take it at any time. Okay. So I have, I have first semester freshmen and I have, you know, seniors that are graduating in December in the fall. So it's, it's like, it can be a real challenge <laughs> to like, kind of get it. And, and it could be like your religion and media course counts as one or. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Man, so awesome. I, I've also taught Bible and I've taught, I teach a religion in, in America course, which I really love all of those courses. And then my colleagues, some of whom are pretty adamant that they are only religious studies, that they're not mm-hmm. theology, are teaching something else. So it really depends on what, who they get, what class they take, you know, and so much of that depends on, oh, what fits in my schedule. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I try to, I try to just, when, when they end up in my class, like, just run with it, you know, like what, try to make the best of it for them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just super jealous of that flexibility. <laughs> we, yeah. We have, we, have, we have a super rigid core curriculum program. Right. So, right. Like, and it's like, we, we similarly, you know, we don't have that many majors on, on campus and we're in service yeah. to the, the core and everything, but like the, the courses that count for the core are pretty limited. And so, right. and, and they end up like, they're sort of, like there's always a, a person who's in charge of the course, but like it's not really my course. Like I'm. Oh, okay. Yeah, like there's a lot of there's some flexibility with it, but it yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and we're we're actually redoing our our curriculum right now, like both on the departmental level and across the the college. And you know, these are the these are the balances. Like, what do you want? On the, on some level, it's nice to have a sort of uniform class, mm-hmm. you know, that they all take and. But then it's also really great that I can form a class like religion and media and have that be, you know, the class that they take. So it's it's just, you know, it's just this ongoing balancing act of what what we actually think general education or the core curriculum should be doing for students. Do you do you have a favorite among your courses that you teach? You know, it's it's a surprising thing. In addition, so I, like I said, I teach religion and media. I teach religion in America, both of which I really love. I mean, I really, especially my religion in America class, I am super excited because I, I structure it all around issues of race in the United States and mm-hmm. religion. But I also teach ethics, and I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably not qualified to teach ethics. <laughs> um, <laughs> like every time I'm every time I'm doing it, I'm like, is it? Am I really doing ethics? Like, and the the moral theologians will can correct me but i really it's it's a course called religion and global moral issues Mm. and that course has been just an absolute delight like my students i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just the reputation that the course is getting or what but my students in those course in those in that course across every time i've taught it across all the sections are just come in like ready to, to to talk about really hard stuff and it's just been it's just been for me in in our current political climate a really great source of hope Mm. because we take so the course is divided roughly into issues of immigration and refugees and then issues of like torture and war Mm -hmm. and getting to like very carefully and very civilly talk about these issues with my students has just been like there's just so much there's such a lack of civil discourse now which i know is a cliche to say but yeah. it's just nice that you know 3 hours a week i get to like really carefully go through these things with my students and you know hear what they have to say and we you know try to figure out what what we're going to do as as a collective and so i've just been really surprised that that's the class like that's the one where my chair is like what do you want to teach and i'm always like if possible Hmm. Let me teach this course again, because I, I also, but I've been thinking this summer, it's been really hard because when I was doing immigration and refugee stuff the past couple of years, it was like in the news, you know, but because of the summer with all of the, mm-hmm. the border issue, the issues at the border, I know it's going to be even more on students' minds. And it's, it's actually really a, 
I feel, I feel very, I, it's such a big responsibility. You know, I want to do it right. I want to give them the tools to really be able to, to discuss issues of immigration and, and the refugee crisis like yeah. well. And so I've been really like thinking hard about how to change the course and how to make it better because I really, I think it's super important. Like teaching ethics in the age of Trump, like, holy moly, like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a thing, you know, that's like a responsibility yeah. in my mind. You well, know? And there's so much fodder to work with. So right. Right. Like, Which is good and bad. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to keep up with. There's this, right. uh, there's this podcast I listen to that I love deeply. It's called uh, what Trump can teach us about constitutional law. Okay. And it's, it's by the guy who does 99% invisible. And, and oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's him and he has a neighbor who's a constitutional law professor cool and so it's the two of them and she said that like they started the show because she had told him i guess in passing that like now before she goes to class she always checks trump's twitter feed mm-hmm. to see yes. if there's anything that's like constitutionally relevant yes uh, and so they've done episodes on like can the president fire people and right you know, the emoluments right. and all sort of stuff and it's fascinating to listen to because she goes through like the the case law precedents and like these weird stories, you know, these weird cases from a hundred years ago that are applicable yes. now. So I don't know. I love, well, I love the show. I, I highly recommend it, but it, it's also kind of a model for the kind of thing you're talking about in a way. No, like, it's exactly true. Like uh, I, I, especially with the issues of like immigration, like in the refugee stuff, I, I, I do the same thing. I, I will pull a tweet or a video clip or something and say, okay, so, you know, we're discussing the Geneva conventions. Like how does this, what does this look like or whatever, you know, like, it's just, it is this like amazing primary source. Mm-hmm. And for, like I said, for me, it is a source of hope because often I'll see something in the news and I'm just, I just want to despair, you know, but for me to actually turn it into a primary source that, that we can then talk about in class and, you know, really get into it, it kind of, it you kind of take your power back in a way, you kind of take agency mm-hmm instead of letting the news sort of like wash over you and just wear you down day after day, which I think is what a lot of people, what's happening to a lot of people. Yeah. I, I, I've, oh, I've always said, I mean, for the past, you know, two years, I've said to people, I don't know how I would be functioning if I wasn't teaching, like mm. teaching is what gives me hope. You know, it's, it's the thing that gives me hope in the, in these times. And that's not to romanticize it. Like, of course, teaching sucks sometimes. Like, <laughs> grading, grading sucks. You know, like, and <laughs> sometimes my students are not on on the ball. Yeah. But you know, just those moments where a student, like, we were reading Hannah Arendt, and we were talking about the banality of evil and like how you know how it applies to bureaucracy. And I, I, I like heard a student grasp it you know i heard her gasp and she was like oh my gosh like i get it you know i get this i get why we're reading this you know and like those moments you know it's like Mm -hmm. okay so now maybe like in her conversations you know yeah maybe she she can bring that into into her family or into her friend group or whatever so awesome yeah do you do you have like do you have like a tricks or tactics or practices that you do in the classroom that have made it easier to have you know, like civil productive conversations that are still, you know, disagreement, argument, that kind of thing. Well, my biggest, my biggest quote unquote trick is just to be as self-deprecating as possible. (laughs) No, I mean, just to like, you know, to try to, I, I'm very, I'm very like nurturing with my students in a way. And I'm very, I'm very self-effacing I'll say. So I say to them like, Hey, we're about to have a really tough conversation 
Um, but I said, you know, I always say to them like, but we are doing what a lot of people have just refused to do. Like mm. we're going to take this topic and um, especially in my ethics course, I spend a lot of time talking to them about, you know, arguments from emotion versus, versus like logical arguments. Mm -hmm. And, and so we, we are very, it's sort of weird. Like we're very in touch with our emotions in that class. Cause I'll say like, okay, I feel right now this, this pit of anger and I just want to sort of yell about this, but I really need to like approach this in a logical manner. Like, hmm. is anyone else feeling that? Like, you know, and so really trying to get them to see that they like, that these things are emotional, but that doesn't mean we have to sort of stop at the level of emotion. Mm. And I think that, I think that the big thing for me in that is letting them acknowledging that the emotion is there. So yeah. like when we do, when we do refugee stuff, you know, I have them, for me, it's a lot about like personalizing it. So when we start the refugee say, thing, I say, okay, I want you to think about where you're from. No, most of them are from the United States, but some of them are not. Yeah. So I think about your home country, what would have to happen for you to say, okay, I have to leave. I have to take all mm. of my family and I have to leave. And so just to try to get them to like feel that for a second, I use a lot of like images and, and then we say, okay, so this is what we're feeling. Now, how can we approach this from a sort of like theological or philosophical perspective in a way that doesn't totally disregard the feeling, but gives it body, you know, gives it structure, gives it a way forward instead mm -hmm. of just being stuck in the emotion. When we start talking about torture and talk about specifically with the the cia you know the torture report mm -hmm. which we read huge swaths of actually i i begin that whole unit because of where i'm located asking my students what their family memory of september 11th is mm -hmm. and giving them almost a full class period to just sort of talk about september 11th because i want them before we launch into these sort of like arguments about why torture is wrong and all of these things i want to sort of acknowledge the emotional side of it the, yeah. in, in the background you know so yeah i mean i think that it's been it's been pretty successful as far as i know i haven't really had issues with students getting they've, they've been civil i think in general the 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 fear for me is that students won't talk to each other versus my students like fighting with each other. I mean, I don't know, okay. maybe other people have those issues, but I think my students are just so afraid of not offending one another, but of being pigeonholed themselves, being mm -hmm. typecast themselves or looking stupid. Or I really, I've been thinking a lot lately about how standardized testing has changed the whole dynamic of learning because my students are afraid that they're going to be wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, tell me, you know, tell me something beautiful. Tell me something beautiful you saw this week. And it's like, well, what are you looking for? I'm yeah. like, I don't know, dude. Like, <laughs> tell me something. Like, did you have a nice cup of coffee? Like, I can't, you know. And I, it's hard because I, I don't think it's their fault. Like, I think it's, I think it's a whole lifetime of someone saying the answer is B, and A, A and C and D don't matter, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so it, I, it comes out a lot in the like, I just want to know what the answer is. Like, yes, yeah. yes. And theology's always had this problem, I think, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, students who are maybe like pre-med are just like, oh, my God, just tell me what I need to memorize to get through your class, you know? Yeah. But I think even more so because STEM, God bless STEM, but because it's sort of overtaken our model of education, I think it's sort of made everything like that. And so that ability to to wonder and to tap into what's beautiful is is kind of it's a it's a totally they don't have that that skill it's not honed in the in them by and large that's my experience i mean mm. I'm, you know some of them have really great high schools that 
can kind of shape that skill, but most of them, it's just like, okay, get, get through, get into college and then, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think so often in terms of like, I, I sort of mentally before I go into a semester, my like heuristic model is there's like a third of this class that's going to talk regularly and there's a third I'm never going to get to talk like without yeah. without like really getting in their face, which I don't do because I yes. never talked in college. And so I don't mm-hmm. like to like compel mm-hmm. others to. Yeah. Um, and I always sort of situate like the in a sense, like the, the, the struggle in my classroom is over the middle third that can yes. go either way. Right. And I, I so often sort of assume or, or have unconsciously assumed that it, it's mostly a matter of. Uh, they're in a religion class, which they don't want to be. They're just here because we're making them. Right. But I like it is helpful to think about like some of it is also some of the struggle with being in a religion or a theology course is they haven't been trained for how yes. to be in a religion or theology course. Right. So. Right. I mean, that's and that's all down to, you know, my besides being hum, like besides humor and self-deprecation, like really the center of my teaching philosophy is is charity and mm-hmm. to try to always be charitable towards my students I mean, that's really hard. Like it was a, it was a turning point for me over the last couple of years when I realized that they just didn't like that. It was my job to teach them what I was frustrated that they didn't know. You know, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like I should teach them, you know, like I should maybe, this is my job. Right. Yeah. Like, instead of being frustrated about this, like, you know, be a better student. It's like, well, maybe they haven't really been taught how to think in this way yet. And you have to give them some space and some time and be gentle with them in some ways. And I know that for some people, you know, this is going to sound like bleeding heart nonsense, but you know, that it, it, it works, it works for me, especially in these classes where we are having really tough conversations Yeah. to be a little bit more, to give them more space, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you also about your interest in theology and media uh, mm-hmm. Because I know this is a thing that we share. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm i curious. Well, I, my, yeah, my first question is, like, what is it about that? Like, how did that become, like, a main question for you? <laughs> okay, so I I was a Lilly graduate fellow. So I had a, I had a graduate fellowship through the Lilly mm-hmm. Foundation. I don't know if you know much about Lilly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Indianapolis, and... so... Night. Oh, that's right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Everything's sorry. paid for by Lily there. Yes. <laughs> this podcast sponsored. Okay. We had, um, we had, we had at a trivia one night. Oh, this is a total tangent, but uh, we had, we had this great question and it was, it was like, they gave us four states and you had to match up by like the value, what their biggest international export was. Okay. And, and none of them was Indiana. They were, they were it was other states, but like, a surprising number of states in the U.S. Their biggest export is is airplanes and airplane parts, which I was shocked Whoa. by. But it's because they're yeah. so expensive that you need to export them. Right. But then, so we, we called up the map, and I was looking at it, and I was like, Indiana, medicine. Everyone's like, why? And it's like, oh, it's Eli Lilly. Lilly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Anyway, um, anyway, sorry. That's okay. So I was, I was in Indianapolis for our first conference, and because we got together periodically as, as graduate fellows, and... The, at this, our conference overlapped very briefly, maybe like a day or so with Gen Con, mm. which is like the largest gaming convention. Mm-hmm. I know you know that. I just am yeah. explaining. And I kept walking by these folks that were carrying like 
CPUs and like boxes of Mountain Dew to go like game in their room for three days. And like, but then I was also watching them come together in the hotel and I was just sort of sitting in the hotel, like probably drinking a bourbon or something. And I was watching this community like for like out of kind of out of nowhere, like all of a sudden we were just swarmed by this gaming community. And then we would go, went out to dinner and, and the, the restaurants had changed all their menus into like game character, <laughs> like, like menus. And I was like, Holy moly, this is a huge deal. And I know that's like, not a, like a, yeah, I should have been like on board with it before then. But I remember that weekend, like all of a sudden my mind was just like, Oh my gosh, like this changes the way that I think about community mm. and like, like ritual and, and, and all this stuff. So the next, that was in the summer, in the fall, I took Vince Miller's theological anthropology and technology course. Mm -hmm. I think that was the name of it. I don't even think he knows the name of it, whatever his tech course. And as a joke, I proposed to him that I would write a paper on massively, you know, multiplayer online role-playing games. And I said, I think it's just that, you know, all of the way that I've always seen blogs and, social media and all of this stuff is that, you know, we all want to be immortal. There's that, that part of us that wants to live mm. forever. And most of us can't be published. That was sort of the old way of doing it. But now the internet is affording people all these ways to like kind of tap into that issue of being immortal. So anyway, so I made a, made a joke about this to Vince and I said, like, I'm going to write a, a paper about MMOs. And he was like, okay. And I was like, all right. And I sort of, so I, so he sort of called my bluff and I sort of called his bluff. And so I wrote this paper and it was about embodiment, essentially. It was about how these games basically allow people to be embodied in a way, especially for communities who have a sort of adversarial relationship to their own bodies or sort of antagonistic relationship to their own bodies or a complicated. Anyway, it, was, it wasn't like the most sophisticated thing I ever wrote, but it got me into thinking about this. And then I realized through writing that, that there wasn't that much theology being done mm -hmm. about this in the way that I wanted to do it. Like mm -hmm. there was plenty of stuff that was like porn is bad, right? Because we mm -hmm. need another article about that. But nobody was really kind of getting into what I would sort of see as like the sort of systematic theology of virtual space. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I didn't really know that that's what I wanted to do. I kicked around a couple other dissertation ideas because it was really a scary thing because I had several people, not people in at UD necessarily, but people at conferences, you know, scholars and other places who were really discouraging about it yep. because they were like, this isn't real theology, yep. you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, how, how special that you can tell what real theology is. And you know, anyway, yeah. so, so I was really, and I was told multiple times I would never get a job and, you know, and I said, well, no one's getting jobs anyway, so I might as well roll the dice, you know? Um, <laughs> so, That's an awesome so, yeah. Response. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might as well, I mean, you know, somebody somebody said to me once, I, this is like a cliche about dissertation, but you're basically in a long-term relationship with this topic, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the only topic that I had written on really in my coursework that got me like super jazzed. You mm -hmm. know, I was like, this is so much fun. Like it gets me, it lets me like talk and like talk about stuff that I love and you know, I, it was just, it just felt right. It just felt like the right thing to do. And then when Vince, you know, agreed to take me on, it was just, it made total sense. You know, it was just, it was great. So, so yeah. So now I teach this religion and media course and I, I don't know, I'm just going to kind of see where this goes, you know, that's awesome. you know, my ideas, I have, I have more ideas than I have time to write. So yeah. I feel like that's probably a good thing at this point, you know? And so um, you're, you're publishing your dissertation with Lexington, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so like, what's the, 
Like what's the what's the elevator pitch for the oh for god the, the book? You know, I was just joking with I was just joking I was just joking with my friend Emily, who's now at Wheaton. I was joking with her that like I feel like I get worse at this, like the further (laughs) the more I do it, which is like I think the opposite of what's supposed to happen. So the title of the book is Virtual Communion. And the subtitle is actually helpful. Imagine that. It's uh, a theology of the internet and the Catholic sacramental imagination. And so I try to contextualize the Catholic sacramental imagination in its sort of, you know, in its formal aspects, you know, sort of the seven sacraments, but also in in all of the ways that sacramentality kind of informs Catholicism specifically. Mm -hmm. I try to contextualize that in the larger category of the virtual. And my, my goal here is to get us to think about virtual space. So social media, the internet, whatever, Mm -hmm. in a way that we can see it on a, on a continuum with the other forms of, you know, ritual and community that we've Mm -hmm. already we already have so the you know the 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 thesis of the of the project is just that the church is virtual and it in a a way that i sort of lay out in the book Mm -hmm. in a much broader sense than just you know binary code or something like that but really that there's this dynamic of presence and absence that lies at the heart of what the church does yeah and how it's and how it thinks about itself and marshall McLuhan actually saw this really clearly so I feel like, you know, I'm not too crazy if, if McLuhan saw it. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the basic idea. I use the Lubach quite a bit. The, the sort of most theological chapters of the book draw on the sacramental theology of Chauvet. Mm. So, and it's, it's fun. I'm like nowhere near as smart as like the Chauvet people. So I'm hoping that they won't. <laughs> I'm like, I do, I do theology and media. Like I'm not a sacramental theologian. So I hope I do him justice, but, but he's really helpful for thinking about this dynamic of presence and absence and how that works with, with the sacraments. It's interesting so. to think about using him for like the, the, the virtual and, and media and technology yeah, um, I because I, I I mean I know like in the the big Chauvet book there's some part where he has this like super dismissive comment about the televised mass. Yes, yes. Um, and I uh, so I I wrote a paper when I was a PhD student on the televised mass, mm. um, and I I was basically just trying to connect like the language people use to talk about television with the language people use to talk about like. Talk about liturgy. Yeah, absolutely. So like assembly absolutely. and audience and all this kind of stuff. And right. and so I I gave this paper at uh, at BC. We had a systematics colloquium, and in your second year, you had to give a paper. Mm. Um, and it was like just two hours of all the faculty who showed up and all your fellow students and wow, like whatever questions they had, they all get in advance and everything. And like the second hour of that colloquium was our Chauvet theologian just reaming me out (laughs) yeah right right and and there were like there were other things behind like the 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 situation between him and i at at the moment uh it Mm -hmm. wasn't all about the paper (laughs) it never is steve (laughs) but like it 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 remained like one of like one of i don't know this like very i mean pretty mild all things considered but one of my like traumas from phd is this mm. memory of this colloquium and other people <laughs> who were there also remember it like as badly oh, as I did. So, oh man. Yeah. It's kind of an amazing experience. And so like, yeah. it was, but it was one of those things where like, is that like you were saying, or I was basically being told like, you're not really doing theology. Yes. Um, and it's like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> right. Right. It's, like, it's an interesting experience, like being discouraged in that way. I try to, you know, if someday I'm ever in a position to, 
encourage or discourage young theologians. It's something to remember, you know, Yeah. being challenged. And I don't know, like, I think there is something, I think people to be, to be charitable towards these kinds of folks, it's like, it, it, I think it messes with their categories of what they think they're doing. You know, it's like, and so it can be, I can understand why it would be threatening or scary, but I always, this is why I always go back to teaching because I'm like, if you can't speak to the reality of your students, like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, you really are navel gazing. Like, what? Yeah. If you can't talk to people who are on Twitter, you know, probably during your class and then every other moment of their life, like, what do you? What do we even? What is theology for? Yeah. And if God, I mean, and what a small picture of God that we don't think God has anything to do with those things. It's like, come on, like. <laughs> Of course, God has to do with those things. That's where people are. Yeah. And I'm always like, part of it for me is this, like, I, I have a deep seated suspicion of, well, like institutions generally, to be honest, but also yeah. whenever people are sort of like boundary policing about things. Yeah, of course. And one of one of my mentors at BC, Fred Lawrence, like, I remember, uh, like his wife always came with him to like any events and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I got to know her fairly well, too. And I was talking to her one day and she was talking about how, you know, when he was finishing up his his doctoral work or whatever, like someone was was saying to him is like, but is this theology? (laughs) I was like, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. if you're questioning Fred, like then like (laughs) there, then I'm probably okay. Like, (laughs) right, right. And it is I mean, it is a relevant question. Like Sandra Yoakum at UD was really helpful for me because she knew how interested I was in cultural studies and, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of like, I'm just interdisciplinary by nature. Like just, just how I was trained. And she was really helpful for me keeping me sort of on the theological and Vince was, was great about this too. And so it is a relevant question, Yeah. but I think as much as we can sort of like, you know, figure out like what, what things are sort of in the scope of theology. And mm-hmm. I think anything that, anything that touches on what it means to be human or sort of the, the, the human condition in terms of like community and communication, like, of course that's going to be a grounds for theological reflection. I can't yeah. see why it wouldn't be, you know, I mean, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's frustrating when, cause I mean, I, I can, I can see how it, it, it I, I've gotten a little more confident about it now. I mean, I'm yeah. sure, you know, me getting the job is, is hugely to blame for this, but you know, I gave a paper in April at the Pope Francis conference at Villanova and my paper was mostly just about memes and <laughs> I can see, I can see how, you know, a senior scholar walking into that would be like, what the heck are you doing? You know, <laughs> but this is where my students are and this is where I am. And this is where I think that we're sort of tasked to, you know, figure out where God's grace is at work in these things, you know, and, and if the answer is it's not at work, then okay, but we can have a conversation about that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I've been really ramping yeah. up the number of papers I've given on the Pope and Twitter. So nice. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very good. I, b- b- before we wrap up, I, I have some less serious questions for you, but even before that, I felt like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the, the Holy Schmidt uh, YouTube oh, channel. Uh, yes. and, and is it coming back? Uh, it is coming back. It is. I, I, I did six episodes last summer or five episodes last summer. I'm hoping to do six episodes this summer. So it's a podcast that I, or not a podcast, a, I guess the web series I started mostly for my students, just to give them like little, little less than five minute videos on, on topics that come up a lot in class or, you know, things that I know people have questions about, but are afraid to ask me, like, what's the difference between Catholic and Protestant? Like some people don't want to ask that in class because yeah. they just 
think it's too basic, basic of a question. And so I'm just, I didn't realize too, that I was really, I started it for my students, but there's so many people in my life on social media who are kind of interested in theology or religion in a way, but aren't religious themselves and Mm -hmm. do have these very simple questions. And I know that they trust me. And I know that instead of just, they don't want to like really just Google it. But, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of private messages from people I went to high school with and, you know, you know, people who are really looking for somebody, I think, who, who knows religion, who isn't going to judge them, you know, and they, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that they know that I'm not going to judge them for the questions that they have. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, Holy Schmidt, hopefully it'll come back. If you have any questions that you think would be good for episodes, I'm always collecting them. I really need to get on it. Do you have any kind of of like preview you can give or is there like an episode you're excited about or are you still? So I'm going to continue. I have a, I have a series within that series called the B word and it's about the Bible. Okay. I'm going to probably do a couple of the, of the episodes on that and really kind of in the context of the immigration issue, it's going to be about like proof texting Mm -hmm. and kind of what the, what the Bible has to say about like immigration in a, in a, like a broad sense. Yeah, so that's what that would be one of them probably. I get a lot of stuff still about like separation of church and state stuff. I did an episode on church and state, but maybe I have to do something more specific. I'm not really sure. So I don't know. Do you have any? You have any ideas for me? <laughs> I mean, one like one kind of simple one. It's Bible related, but I have been surprised how much I've been getting this uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Is the Catholic versus Protestant Bible? Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And like the the status of the apocrypha and like right. what 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 is ha- part of why this happens is like I have um you know in one of my classes I have this lesson I do that's on it's it's from it's it's connected to the Elizabeth Johnson's Quest for Living God but it's the feminine images of God chapter from that book right and so right I, I give them a bunch of passages to read along with that and one of them is from Wisdom right and then I, like half of my students are like I couldn't find it <laughs> and it's like oh yeah, yes I forgot to exactly. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I always feel so embarrassed by it because I, right. I forget to tell them, but it's like, look, I like it. Right. And so then I have to do that whole thing. So Yeah, I'm going to do probably an episode on canon. I do a lecture oh, on yeah. canon that includes a, it includes a, an animated PowerPoint that I probably won't put on the, on the video. But but yeah, that, that'll be kind of going to the canon nice. thing. So yeah, okay, cool. That's helpful. All right. So to wrap up, I have five somewhat less serious questions for you. Okay. So number one, what is the best thing that you have read lately? Best thing I've read lately. Could be book, article, great tweet, you know. This is such a hard question. I reread this book. It's a it's a novel. I reread a novel called Every Anxious Wave. Hmm. And it's about it's a time traveling love story. <laughs> it is a it is an aging rocker who finds a wormhole in his closet and he uses it to go back to rock shows that he and his friends like. Um, <laughs> and he loses his friend, his friend instead of typing in 1980 to stop John Lennon from being assassinated, he types in 980 and his friend ends up on the Isle of Manhattan. Um, instead of Manhattan so anyway so he meets a physicist and falls in love it's sort of a cheesy book but I reread it again I just finished it yesterday so that's what I'm I'm digging right now that's awesome my friend from Norway was just telling me today that I should 
start the wheel of time series mm. i don't know if anybody care like knows anything about that but anyway so oh, i'm going to i'm going to indulge him and start it even though i am very doubtful yeah but so I'll, I'll say this having read all 14 novels in the wheel of time okay oh my <laughs> i i definitely don't regret reading it um, okay and it's um it's super easy to read yeah and the first i think the first two like the first book's really good and and like they could have he could have finished after that and been fine uh yeah the second book i think is my might be my favorite one okay and then it, it it's i'll be honest the books are kind of hit and miss from there okay because it gets to a point where it has you know kind of like the game of thrones problem where there's yeah. five, five thousand characters and right um, there there is i without exaggerating i think it's book eight takes place over like one day oh god and it's like 700 pages now it's a big day like a lot happens but <laughs> but, but like it's 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 just like okay yeah you, have, you got a lot here and then yeah that series was also the origin of a rule for me which is i don't read book series until they're over uh-huh um, because the author the wheel of time died before oh. before the last book was written oh no and then and and like and then it, it got taken over and the guy who took it over split the last book into three books which i was a little annoyed by um, yeah but he was a better writer so it okay. made up for it <laughs> and so like this is like I have not read any of the Game of Thrones books. I've watched the series, but I haven't read any of the books because it's not over yet, and I don't know right, if George R. Right. R. Martin's going to survive. So like that's my I hear rule. you. Um, I hear you. I I like I I refused to read Harry Potter till it was over, and then by that point I just didn't care enough, so I didn't ever got around to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that's so I have I have that rule about series now uh, because of nice. the time. But there is a part of me that thinks I will probably reread it someday. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I'm so gonna I, give it. A, I'm gonna give it a go. I say Godspeed. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, number two. Uh, of whom or what would you be the patron saint? <laughs> oh, God, that's such a funny question. I think of it as aspirational. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Gosh. I want to say like Lego builders. Yes. But I'm not really a Lego builder. I mean, I'm just a fan, you know, I'm not really. I mean, you did also travel to the Lego stuff. house. So like, yeah, I mean, you've made, maybe, your, you've made your pilgrimage. Like I have made my pilgrimage, <laughs> uh, maybe sports fans. Like I'm a huge sports fan. Yeah. I know you love your cats. Um, so I, I don't know. I do. I don't know if they have a, they probably have John Bosco is probably there, uh, but if like, like fans, like I really love sports fans. Right. Um, yeah, we'll go with that. That works. These are hard questions. Yeah, I've been told I always save the hardest questions for the end. Uh, yeah, but, absolutely. But I, I find these answers fascinating in their own way. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite or your least favorite liturgical song? <laughs> Ooh. This is, no, this is cheesy, but my favorite is on Eagle's Wings because okay. my mom loves that song. And my okay. mom is not, she's not a sappy person at all. But every time I hear it, I think of my mom and my mom is awesome. So that's probably my favorite, even though it's like kind of a cheesy song. Like yeah. every, every time I see it, because I don't live near my mom anymore, it's just like a little piece of her, which is great. Nice. That's a solid answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four, a guilty pleasure TV or movie. I have been known to watch more Bachelor and Bachelorette than I care to admit. Um, 
So I'm just fascinated by it. Like I just, it's, it's definitely a guilty, but it's also a pleasure. I mean, it really is like, it's so awful. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to put it out there. Sorry, internet. Like there it is. I mean, you're not, I'm sure you're not alone in that. I know. So, I know I'm not. Yeah. I think, I think for me right now, it's Jason Statham movies. Yeah. So yeah, my wife and I went through a phase where like, if there was a Jason Statham movie on Netflix, we would watch it. <laughs> um, and there's not a lot of variety among them. They're all pretty much the same. Um, yeah. Of of the like his main era. I mean, if you go back to like his early Guy Ritchie movies, they're a little different. But right. There, there's this new one coming out uh, about a giant shark. Okay. <laughs> and my my wife and I have movie pass, so we've been to the movies a lot lately. Oh wow! Yeah. And they've shown the trailer for this before. I think every movie we've seen with the movie pass. <laughs> So we're getting very excited. You gotta for see it. it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Last question. What would be the title of your autobiography? Title of my autobiography would be gosh, I change I change it like a lot. My my autobiography would probably be something like, ah, we can do another drink or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could do one more. That's probably my I mean, that's just so my personality. Like I can't if I I, I really I can't stand being alone. So like if I'm out with people, like I want people to be around for as long as possible. So yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. That's a great answer. (laughs) True to life. Yes, it's so true. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this. I appreciate it. Of course. It was my pleasure. So good to talk to you. The Daily Theology Podcast was produced this week by me, Stephen Oakey. The music for the podcast was created by Matt Hines of the band Eastern Sea. You can go check them out on Spotify now that this episode is over. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes or maybe a comment on the blog. If you're interested in more from Daily Theology, you can find us online at dailytheology.org, on Facebook at Daily Theology, on Twitter at Daily Theo, or on Patreon patreon.com slash dt podcast. 